are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning, everyone up at the Mills and all you here at Riverside and anyone that may be listening on podcast as you're driving or wherever you are. I uh, am excited about a new sermon series that we are beginning today. It's an idea for a series that I got from listening to one of my favorite pastors, Adam Hamilton, last year, and so I'll be borrowing heavily from him during this series, but I do that without apology because I feel like this is something that God really wants Riverside to hear, and uh, I think it's going to be a great, great series as we begin this, heading in toward Lent and into Easter as it's coming up. It's uh, it's a great, great time for us to reflect on some of these, some of these epic things that we talk about uh, in terms of good and evil, good and evil. That's, I'm confident that this message series is a series that you can invite anyone to and they will get something out of it. And it'll speak to them in a way that's going to connect to them to be redemptive and positive. So if you have family or friends or neighbors that you've not invited to church for a while, Co-workers, please take this opportunity to uh, say, hey, you know what? I have a great church, you know, brag on the church, not me, but okay, brag on me if you want, but I don't deserve it. But just say, we've got a great thing going here. Love for you if you don't have a church to come. If they have a church, don't push it. But if they don't have a church, we are here for them. And I invite you to to be the people that, uh, that opens the door for people. So... I want to begin with uh, the foundational text about the struggle between good and evil. That's what we're going to be talking about, this line between good and evil. So if you have your Bibles, let's start at the very beginning where the Bible addresses it in the creation account, Genesis chapter 2. Would you please turn there in your Bibles or find it on your, on your, um, your smart device, your smartphone, your, your device, whatever it may be. Let's take a look at this together. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 2. And uh, we're going to look at a few verses there, and then we're going to jump to chapter 3, and uh, the first six verses of chapter 3 in Genesis. So, um, let's, yeah, let's go there. I'll give you a few seconds to look at that. Here it is, the creation account, the story of Adam and Eve. The Bible says in Genesis 2.15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Skipping on to chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You won't certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. 
Let's bow our heads together. God, as we take a deep look in Scripture and in the world around us at this struggle between good and evil, help us to be honest with you and with ourselves, to humbly admit where we struggle, to find in you the grace and mercy that we need to be able to defeat this. And so, God, we just offer ourselves, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive what you have to say, and the grace and mercy to move forward and to advance the light against darkness in our lives and in the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I don't think I need to tell you that we don't need to look very far to see evidence of evil in the world, do we? You just watch the evening news. Open the front page of any paper and you see the stories of it. You see war going on in Syria and still going on in Afghanistan and in Congo and Somalia. And we see drug wars in Mexico and terrorism in Russia and corrupt leaders in government of all governments and in business and hackers stealing credit cards and selling it and taking your identities and we see school shootings and mall shootings and theater shootings over somebody texting during the previews of a movie and we look at that and we think how can this be we are we are smart people we're we've we've evolved we're much farther beyond people of the past haven't we gotten to a place where this stuff doesn't happen anymore in, in his great book, which I always recommend, my favorite novel of all times, John Steinbeck's East of Eden, he writes this. He says, I believe that there is one story in the world and only one. Humans are caught in their lives, in their thoughts, in their hungers and ambitions, in their avarice and cruelty, and in their kindness and generosity too, in a net of good and evil. The one central narrative in human history is this endless struggle between good and evil. Each individual, regardless of what your ancestors have learned about this, no matter how far they have come in the past, we all face that same ancient struggle. We all battle with this, these choices that we have inside of us between right and wrong, good or evil. And it is our human condition. Steinbeck believes that that this is the recurring conflict. It is, it, there's no other story, he says. A man, after he has brushed off the dust and chips of his life, will have left only the one hard question, one clean question. Was it good or was it evil? Have I done well or have I done ill? And it goes back as far as we can, can look. I mean, all the ancient mythologies, are they not all about the struggle between good and evil, no matter what culture you look in? And even in our modern mythologies, we see this, this battle played out. I want to show you some pictures and, of, of some of the representatives of evil in our modern mythologies and see how many of these you can recognize. I'm sure they'll be very obvious to you. Why don't we go ahead and show them the first one? Who's that? Darth Vader, yes. Next one. Oh, who's that? Voldemort. Yeah, so a few of you know that one. How about the next one? Gollum. And then we go to, do you recognize this? Narnia, the evil queen in Narnia. What about the next one? The Joker. And then one more. 
We all know this, right? The Wicked Witch of the West. Every one of these characters are the, are the personification of evil. And in all of these mythological stories, we see the battle of good versus evil. Good conquering evil. And each one of these, good won out. And in every story, there's a hero or a heroine that's willing to stand up to evil, willing even to die in order to save the world. And each one, we see that they weren't alone. They had a group of people with them who were pulling together. In, in uh, uh, Frodo had his, his Fellowship of the Ring, right? Luke Skywalker had his Jedi Knights and uh, the, the, pe- the leaders of the rebellion with him and Han Solo and Princess Leia and Obi-Wan Kenobi and who could forget R2-D2 and, and uh, C-3PO. And I know right now David Kennard is just, he's in his glory, Dorothy had who, right? The Tin Man, Cowardly Lion, and, and the Scarecrow. And even Batman had Robin. So, you know, Robin was my wife's childhood crush. I mean, that was, that was, that was her hero. Uh, uh, but in the end, in all of these stories, you see that, that good wins out over evil. And this is our story. This is the Christian faith. This is the story. But we don't believe it's a myth. You see, we believe that Jesus came, that Jesus came to show us the way, that Jesus comes to invite us and to inspire us. And he calls us to be a part of this great battle against evil with him. He laid down his life for us on the cross. He was raised from the dead and conquered death and the grave, the the consequences of evil in the world. And he calls us and he equips us and sends the Holy Spirit into our lives. And he sends us forth to spend the rest of our lives pushing back the darkness. And evil is all around us. It's not just in these Hollywood characters. As we said, you just look at the news and you see that. Even though we are the most technologically advanced civilization ever on the face of the earth, there is as much fighting and evil going on today as ever before. In fact, look back on the last century, the 20th century, and uh, some have said that there were 104 armed conflicts between people groups in the 20th century alone. That, that 231 million people died unnecessarily in those wars and in those armed conflicts. Think about that. Starvation, genocides, concentration camps, torture. None more notorious than Hitler in the Nazi regime. Think about the Holocaust. Six million Jews, gypsies, homosexuals, Jehovah's Witnesses, disabled people, all of them lumped together. In fact, some have estimated over 11 million people total were killed in that horrible Holocaust. And who were these people that were perpetrating this this terrible evil. They weren't Muslim terrorists. They weren't uneducated people in the jungle somewhere fighting some tribal war. These were highly educated people. These were Christian people, Lutherans and Catholics, perpetrating this kind of evil on fellow human beings. How does all of this happen? 
Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the great Russian novelist, Nobel Prize winner, dissident, said, if only it were all so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them, but the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Here we go. All of us have the capacity to do evil. I do and you do if we're honest with each other. Next week we're going to we're going to talk about the devil and we're going to try to make sense of the devil. What does the Bible say and what doesn't the Bible say about the devil that we have kind of made up about the devil? In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about societal evil. We're going to talk about temptation and the struggle with temptation. We're going to talk about evil's ultimate defeat. But what is evil? Think about that. How do you define evil? It's really hard to pin down. Evil is the absence of good. There are degrees of evil from just, you know, bad and naughty to outright wickedness. There are, there, there are degrees of evil, and Hamilton puts it this way. He says that there's the first degree of evil, we could say, is the pursuit of our own self-gratification, even when we know it's wrong. Okay? Pursuit of our own self-gratification when we know it's wrong. There's a second degree of evil, and he says that it's when we pursue our self-gratification when we know it will hurt somebody else. And then the third degree is when we hurt others, other people just to bring us satisfaction. So it's when we pursue it just for our own sake, uh, we don't know if it's going to hurt somebody, then we pursue it even though we know it can hurt somebody else, and then it's when we do something to hurt somebody in order to gain satisfaction from that revenge or joy or whatever. And in the creation story that we read from Genesis 2, Genesis 3, it's all about that cosmic struggle between light and darkness, between good and evil. And now, some people look at that story as ancient history. Some of it look at it as symbolic. The point isn't to teach us ancient history. The point is it's to hold up a mirror to every person. That story is all about you and me. It's all about who we as human beings are. Adam and Eve represent us, and paradise is all theirs to enjoy, to work it, to tend it, to be there, to enjoy it. But there's one tree that was put in the garden that was toxic. It's morally toxic to them. And isn't that our story? It's the one thing that we are not supposed to have that we want to find out more about, right? When somebody tells you no, that's the forbidden fruit, and that's the very thing you want to discover. It's the very thing that you become curious about. It's the very thing you say, huh, well, I wonder why this is so wrong. I'm going to get to the bottom of that. I want to find out for myself. And so Adam and Eve, they go to take a close look at this. Hmm, looks nice, smells nice. Did God really say this about that? Huh, I wonder what really would happen if I did this. 
I need to find out for myself. I don't necessarily want to take God's word for it. And then there's that talking snake, you know. That's that struggle that we all face when it comes to temptation. And then there's the talking snake. And we all hear that talking snake, do we not? We all hear that voice urging us on. We all can rationalize, justify. We all have that in our mind. It's a human capacity is incredible, the capacity to rationalize our choices. Did they... Did they hear the snake? Will you hear the snake? Obviously we do. Did God really mean that? Did God really say, did he really not want you to have that? What was it really that God said? And that's the capacity that we all have to question that line between good and evil and to move it according to our desires, our self-gratification. We all have that capacity. The Apostle Paul said it. He said, I have it. Romans 7, Paul said, I don't understand what I do for I want, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. For what I, I do is not good that I want to do. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. So I find this at work in me when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Anybody else feel that way? Do you sense that in you? Every day we hear the talking snake. Every day we have that voice inside of us. Uh, Carl Jung, the psychologist, called this our shadow side. He said that everyone carries a shadow. And the less it is embodied in our conscious, in our individual conscious life, the blacker and denser it is. In other words, the more you deny that you have a shadow side, the stronger that shadow becomes. The more you think you are exempt, that you are above it, the more powerful it becomes inside of you when you don't face it and own that. That that line goes right between you and me. This is Cain and Abel's story. You remember the story in Genesis 4? These brothers, they both brought offerings to God and one brought the best that he could bring and the other brought just a little something and God is pleased with Abel's offering. He's not pleased with Cain's offering and... And, and, and Cain just gets jealous and he focuses on his bitterness. And the Lord comes to Cain and he says, Cain, you know, if you do right, it is okay. You have a chance. You can have this opportunity to do the right thing. But then he said to Cain, but sin is crouching at your door. It desires to devour you, but you must master it. In the Bible, the the literal meaning of the word for sin in the Greek, hamartia, means to stray from the path. In other words, there is a path, and we know there's a straight path. And, And sin is when we stray from that path. The Bible uses these directional terms to talk about sin. And so there's this path. That, that, that the Bible talks about, and we all know that path, right? It's that straight path. It's, it's the straight and narrow. It's that way that God calls us to follow. And the important thing for us to remember is that there is a path. And when we're on that path, there's life and joy and peace. But consistently, the Bible shows you that God puts a choice in front of you 
Will you stay on that path or will you stray from that path? Moses said, see, I set before you blessings and curses, life and death. Choose life. Joshua said, choose you this day who you will serve, whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So what is that path? How do we find true north? Honestly, I think intuitively we all have. We all know it. God gives all of us a conscience. We, we know intuitively there's a right and there's a wrong. But we also know that our consciences are shaped greatly by our environment, by our upbringing, by our worldview, by the things that we are told and our experience. And sometimes our consciences get misshapen. So where do we find that path? I think the greatest path is God's revealed word. It's the scriptures. That's the clear path that God has laid out from Old Testament to New Testament. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and he says, so there's a way. Follow me. I'm the way. Follow me. That's the way for the truth and the life. I am that. In fact, the early Christians were called followers of the way. Before they were called Christians, they were called followers of the way. So, so it was all about the path that God had for them to follow. And so if we're followers of the way, we're saying, I want to be like that. I want to follow the way of Jesus. I want my life to, to reflect the life and the character of Jesus. I want to care for the weak. I want to reach out to the outcast. I want to heal the sick. I want to, I want to be the person that, 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 that is forgiving and generous and kind and compassionate and all those things that we see in Scripture. In, in, uh, in the Old Testament, in Micah, a great passage here, Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so, if I'm following the way, I'm going to say, okay, am I, am I, am I doing justice? Is this right? Is this fair? Am I acting in a way? Is this merciful? Am I going to be merciful? Am I humble about my own weaknesses and my own needs? We have other great, you know, foundational scriptures. The golden rule says, you know, uh, do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. And so if I'm following that pathway, that's one of those guiding scriptures that says, Am, is what I am doing to this person the kind of thing that I would want them to do to me? Would I be happy with somebody else doing what I'm about to do? Would I think well of somebody that's doing the thing that I'm choosing to do? That golden rule helps us to stay on the path. And then there's the great commandments to love God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. All of these scriptures and, and throughout scripture from beginning to end help us to see the way. They help us to see that straight path. And we must remember, however, that we stray. And, and in, in the Bible, that word sin, it's, it's, it's about missing the mark. It's about straying from the path. And we all do that. We all will stray from the path. We all will wrestle with temptation. Every one of us, every one of us needs to see that. So, so these scriptures help us to see that this is the path we're supposed to be on. 
But they also point out to us that we, we stray, we go. And, 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 yet, and yet the Bible is good news. The Bible isn't all about pointing out our sin. The Bible is about saying when you find yourself over here, there's a way back. There's a way back. And the way back is God's grace. The Bible's not solely about pointing out that you've lost your way. The Bible is all about saying you can find your way back. There is a way that you can get there. We're all going to wrestle with this. We're all going to stray. We're all going to find that. Last year, if you remember, there was a story of a, uh, a UPS delivery man who was making his rounds before Christmas. And he goes to make a delivery at a house. And when he drops off his package, he sees that there's a FedEx box sitting there. Nice size box, had an Apple insignia on it sitting there that the FedEx driver had left. So he dropped off his package and then he went back into his truck to go make the next delivery, but he sat there. And he sat there. And this was all caught on a security camera from somebody's house. He sat there for about two minutes. And you wonder what was going on in his mind in that truck. Hmm. My daughter might need an iPad or a, or, a, or a new phone. Hmm. The company's big company. They'll, they'll just write this off as a loss if I take that. I've been working my tail off this Christmas season. I don't get any appreciation. I don't get paid enough for what I do. I, you know what? Nobody will see me. This won't hurt anybody. And so he went and he took the, the FedEx package and stole it and went on to make his delivery. Probably a good guy. Probably just like you and me, every one of us. But he sat in the truck and he heard that talking snake. And he thought about that. And we've all been in that truck. We've all been there. Do I, do I do this or don't I do this? In Tolkien's novel, in, in The Lord of the Rings, it's the power that, that the ring of power has. It's that pool. It's that temptation. Everybody that gets a hold of that ring of power in Tolkien's novel, it's like it corrupts them. They can't let it go. And the whole plot of it was to kill that, to destroy that, and break the power that that temptation has over them. And no one is above temptation. Temptation is an equal opportunity employer. I don't care if you're poor or rich. I don't care if you live in the nicest suburbs, if you live in the, in the worst ghetto. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much your income is or how small your income is. You are susceptible to temptation. I think some of the most, most corrupt people are the people that have the power. It's hard to give that up. We read politicians. We read of people that are in power in business who are immoral, corrupt, and all about getting more as we read about people in the ghetto that are trying to get survive, are trying to survive. And so they do whatever it takes in hurting other people. Temptation. That line goes right between every one of us. I don't care if you're white collar, blue collar. I don't care what color you are. It goes right through me and you. We all wrestle with it. Will I speak evil of somebody? Will I act out of pride? Will I build my ego up by putting somebody else down? 
Will I react in anger or will I show grace and mercy? Will I be faithful to my spouse in thought and in action? Will I fudge on my expense reports? Will I skim off the top of those receipts, not report them? Will I eat that punch key that's down the road after church? (laughs) We all fight it. We all struggle with it. No one is above it. And so we stray. We give in. The good news of Christianity is there's redemption. There's a way back. The focus of of all that we believe in, the reason we exist as a church, it's not about guilt and condemnation. Certainly, as I said, we need to know that we're sinners. We need to know that we've strayed from the path in order to find our way back. But the whole goal of it is to give people the way back, to help bring redemption. We have all lost our way. All of us have. None of us are righteous. No, not one of us. I am lost outside of God's grace. And Christianity is all about the solution. It is good news. And no matter how far you've gone astray, God is going to welcome you back. Chronic, Second Chronicles, the classic verse there says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sins and heal their land. So how do we begin to find the capacity to overcome evil in our lives? How do we do that? Well, according to the scripture, it begins by surrendering to Christ. It begins by saying, Jesus, I can't do it on my own. I need you. I need your Holy Spirit. This is the central assertion of Christianity. Because of the fundamental brokenness inside of all of us, and and because that's going to pull us away from the path, God, I need your grace and your mercy to know that I can come back. I need that. That's called conversion. The Bible says when we surrender to Jesus and we say, I need you and I'm going to yield to your spirit and I want you to come into my life, The old things are passed away. Everything else is gone. Now we're a new person. Everything becomes new. And you know what? That's what baptism is all about. That's why we do baptism. And in a couple weeks, in a few weeks, we're going to have a baptism service. And if you've not done that since you believe, baptism is your way of saying, my old person is gone. I was buried. I'm not the person that I am. And only by the grace of God, because Jesus was dead and buried, And he was brought out of the grave. When I come out of that water, it symbolizes that I'm a new person. I'm no better than anybody else based on my own merit. But because I now am identifying with Christ, I have a new beginning. I have a new start. And that's what baptism is about. And so if you haven't signed up to be baptized yet, please sign up. And let's do it in a couple weeks. John 3 says, we, you must be born again. In other words, you become a new person. You start all over with a clean slate. We surrender to the Holy Spirit and God helps us, gives us new eyes. It is amazing when you die to your old self and you are truly born again, you see things more clearly. 
And what happens is that pull, it doesn't go away, but it gives you greater grace and power to resist it. You're able to say, I don't have to do that anymore. I now am free from that. I am set free to follow the path, to follow Jesus and to go his way. So we surrender to the Holy Spirit who gives us the will and he shows us the way, the path. It, it, it becomes more intuitive to us. So we need, we need to surrender to Christ, but we also need one another. We need to be a part of a community. That's why Jesus started the church. That's why in all of those stories, there was a band of people that pulled together because no one of those heroes could have done it without them. And we all need people in our lives to help us to push back the darkness. When you get out on your own, when you think you're strong enough to do it without other people, it is, your, it is, it is as if you're signing your failure warrant, your death warrant. You're not going to be able to do it unless you come. That's why I need to worship every week. That's why when I come here on a Sunday morning and songs are being played, I'm going to look at those words. I'm going to sing those words. It's going to help me come back as I begin each week to feel the voice, hear the voice of that talking snake. It's going to help bring me back as as I sing those words, as I pray those prayers, as I hear God's word being preached. It, it's, it points me to north, the true north. And I need that. I need that. The, the church, the ecclesia means the called out ones. And I need, when I sing, I remember who I am. And, and, and it points me in the path that I need to go. And I need other Christians around me. Because it's so easy to nudge us and to pull us off of the path. And I need others around me to help pull me back. Romans 12 says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the struggle that we all face. And and, and in Hebrews 10, it says, let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So let me ask you a question. Are you spurring others on to love and good deeds? Are you, are you the kind of person that somebody would look to and said, you know what, their life is an example for me to follow? I'm not talking about spurring them like a cattle prod and prodding them that way. I'm talking about spurring them by your example, by your love and your encouragement, by helping them when they struggle. Are you, are you the kind of person that helps other people to be better people? What kind of influence are you leaving? Every Sunday I try to, I try to spur you on. I try to provoke you to love and good deeds. And, and, and that's, that's what we are meant to do for one another. And you know what? I think you do that in so many ways. And we collectively, as a body of believers, do that in so many ways. I, I, this is why we encourage people to reach out beyond themselves, to get beyond their own self-gratification, and to give toward worthy endeavors, to volunteer toward worthy things, 
Because it's good for you to invest your life into doing something beyond yourself. Because if you're all about yourself, man, you're going to be straying off that path left and right. But when you say, you know what, I want to be with a group of people who are doing something to benefit, to pull people back. So, so that's why we do a food drive. That's why when we say, go to, the, go to the store this week and buy two of everything instead of one of everything and give it away. You'll be amazed how that helps you to stay on the path. You're not saved by doing that. We're saved by the grace of God. But by doing something like that, you're saying, I'm not about myself. And it reminds you it's therapeutic to do that, to keep you on the path. That's why we have a hope team here that is all about finding ways to help people in our community. Last year, there were over 18 projects. There were, there were home repair projects for elderly or for single parents that were done. There were ramps put in to people that were having to get by in wheelchairs and walkers and they couldn't do their steps anymore. There, there were, uh, there's a rescue mission project now in Arnold that the Hope team is doing now to help provide rooms for, for people in this, in this horrendous cold to have a place to sleep at night. This is, this is great. These are the kinds of things you do. Meals that are provided for people that are sick or in the hospital or shut in. We have uh, people, when we, when we say, here's a convoy of hope, you know, we're feeding thousands of kids every day in some of the starkest poverty-stricken places of the world. And you give, and you're helping to push back the darkness when you do that. We do coins for kids, for orphans in Cambodia. You push back the darkness. And all of those ways you reach beyond our walls, it's what you're doing. It's prodding you on to love and good deeds. And that's the gospel in action. All the ways you reach even to those within our own community, caring for one another in our small groups, people building relationships to one another. And when somebody in a small group has an issue, they're hospitalized, the small group helps out, they pitch out, they come in. We provide ways for people to get connected. We have a recovery group. We have visitation teams for people that are shut in or in the hospital. We have Stephen ministers that do one-on-one care and support for people that are going through difficult times. We give so much into our children and so many parents don't, or single parents or struggling parents. And here's a safe place for them to come and bring their kids and they're going to get encouraged and they're going to find where is the path, how to stay on the path. And so many of you volunteer, so many of you give scholarships so kids could go to retreat and get away out of their, their environment. And, uh, and so we, you, you do that. You say, I can't volunteer, but you know what? I don't have a child anymore and I want to pay for somebody else's kid to get to their winter retreat or get to their winter camp. I want to do that. So you do those things. And, and that by doing that, you're pushing back the darkness. Students. I mean, more and more I hear from the community in fact, yesterday I made a visitation and, uh, uh, to a funeral home and somebody there at the funeral home who doesn't come to this church, but they know about our church, they asked, tell me, what's the secret to reaching, stu- to reaching high school kids? Because I see how you guys are doing it. What's the secret to that? Why are you guys so good at that? And my church doesn't have anything for kids and we try to get them out, but they don't come, yada, yada. I said, it takes a huge investment. It takes everybody in the church saying this is a value to us. 
to invest in the next generation. And those who are older are saying, you know what, we're going to be a church where these kids want to come. We want to be a church that supports the, the leaders of that and the outreaches that they do. We want to have a church where children love to bring their friends. And you know what? It takes a lot of investment to do that. But we believe in that. How do you get people to give, they asked me. And I said, because we show what it's about and we get people doing it and you see the results and people get behind it. That's the kinds of things you do. I want to, I want to close by just reading a quick email that came this week to the church office totally unsolicited. And last week, our students were on retreat up at Peak and Peak in New York, outside of Erie. They go there every year. 120 students were there, 25 staff, four kids were baptized. And Peak and Peak just rolls out the red carpet because we have such a rapport with them. We've been there for so many years. And they, they just have a fantastic weekend Great concert, band, preaching, all the stuff that they do here. They just took it up there and got kids away. Well, there are other people at Peak and Peak that week. We don't have the whole weekend to ourselves. There are other guests there, so they, gotta, they, they see what's happening. They hear what's happening. This is the email that, that came to the church. Simply said, hi, my family had the opportunity this past weekend to encounter your youth at Peak and Peak. Now, I might read that and all of a sudden thinking, oh, no. <laughs> what, what did they do now? <laughs> but listen to how it goes on. It says, we were able to sit in on one of the worship services. We have two teens who are active in our home church. But I wanted to let you know how impressed all of us were with the youth, the band, and the pastor. It was encouraging to see such a group of young people praising God and worshiping. Whatever you are doing, keep it up. You and your staff are truly impacting the teens around you for Christ. I had the opportunity to talk with some of them about what they liked about youth, maybe to gather a few pointers for our own youth group. They said a couple times how they love bringing their friends because it feels safe and accepting. Again, good job. Anyway, I just wanted to let you know all of that. We were blessed by your group. Have a great week. What an encouragement. So here's, here's the point, folks. This line between good and evil runs right down between you and me and everyone else. Students, young people are at such a crucial age that if they don't hear about the path, if they don't find out about Jesus by the time they graduate from high school, odds are that, that only 80% of people that come to Christ do so before they graduate from high school. The odds are great that they won't find the path later on in life. I want to be that church. I want to be those people that say, this is my priority. I want to be about helping people find and follow Jesus because it not only helps them find the path, it helps me stay on the path because it's about spurring one another on to love and good deeds. I want to be the church that helps those of us who are growing older. Let me put it discreetly. Yeah, you and me. Yeah, you too, Paul. 
I, I want to be that church where we can, can see our peer. We can bring our peers to church, our family, our friends. And they see a vision that's compelling. They see a people that are alive. They see a body that's all about loving God, loving others. I want to be an attractive place where, where no matter what age you are, there's something for you. And you have a purpose and you have a meaning. And you're about that. And you're willing to say, what can I do to help push back the darkness? I want to push it around me and I want to push back the darkness inside of me. Because I belong to Jesus Christ and that's what he came. Light in the darkness to cast out the darkness. Will you be one of those people? Will you commit to saying, I want to be a part of a body that's going to be all about that? Will you, if you have lost your path, if you've strayed, and today the Holy Spirit's saying to you, I'm just, I need, I need God's grace because I know that this area of my life is out and, I'm, and I need to get back on the path. I, I believe that this is opportunity for all of us to say, Jesus, bring me back. Jesus, help me be about what you're about. Jesus, make my life purposeful and meaningful and not just an endless not just a dead end all about me. I want to go somewhere where you're going. Would you bow your heads with me at the mills and here? If you're here this morning and you're saying, Pastor Bill, you were reading my mail this week. Pastor Bill, I know that this was something that I need to hear. And I, I want to come back. I want to get back on that path. And I'm not saying I'm not a Christian. I, or maybe you aren't a Christian and you're saying, I want to jump, I want to get on that path for the first time. Whichever. You want to come back or you want to get on that path. And that's you this morning. You're saying, I, I want that for me. Would you just say, Jesus, that's me, and raise your hand up and say, Jesus, that's me. That's me. That's me. I need it. I need it. I need it. Help me, Jesus, to get on that path. I, I know that line cuts right down through me. And there are times when I give in to that talking snake. There are times when I do what I want to do, even though I know it's wrong. Help me to be right. Forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me. I know that you didn't come for the perfect. You didn't come for the people that are on the path. You came for the people that stray. And you welcome us back. Show us the way. Be the way for me and for everyone in these rooms and everyone that hears my voice right now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.